This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. Today, gender bias in teaching evaluations. Our panelists are Netta Magbule from the University of Toronto, Clayton Childress from the University of Toronto, Aliza Luft from UCLA, and James R. Jones from Rutgers, Newark. The panel was recorded on Thursday, April 11th, 2019. So we're recording this discussion today, Thursday, April 11. And Clayton, I know you wanted to talk about something. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the sociological evergreen topic of teaching evaluations. Yeah. Uh, So uh, for me, uh, this was really brought on by a great new paper uh, by Rivera and Titchlich in uh, the new ASR. Uh, So they basically uh, take a quasi-natural experiment. Uh, Ratings change at a large university that uh, switched from a 10-point rating scale to a 6-point rating scale uh, and then support that with survey experiments. Uh, to show that uh, finer grain scales, so the switch from a 10-point scale to a six-point scale, uh, decreases gender bias in teaching evaluations. Uh, The basic implication of this is that uh, it seems like according to students, uh, unlike male teachers, women can be good, uh, they could get a six out of six, but they can't be great. They couldn't get a 10 out of 10. Um, This is all coming in the rash of more empirical evidence uh, that really, unless you're a Hemsworth brother, uh, meaning you're fit, conventionally attractive white male who speaks California English, uh, your perceived teaching effectiveness will be discounted by students, not because of what you do or how you teach, but because of who you are. Uh, and equally importantly, I think uh, this also comes in the wake of a meta-analysis of evals by uh, Udall White and Gonzalez from a few years ago uh, that estimates that evals only explain about 1% of the variance in student learning. So I was just curious if for other people, if this maps on to things you've noticed in your own teaching practice, uh, if you've been having conversations about this with your colleagues, or if there's been resistance about conversations about this, uh, and just generally what people think. Well, I think on my end, um, I think there's a recognition, at least at Rutgers, that, you know, these teaching evaluations are uh, flawed, right? In many ways, what you um, are having students fill out is a customer satisfaction survey. Um, How much do they enjoy the course? Um, and it really shouldn't be a metric in which we sort of um, use to judge the effectiveness of teachers um, for promotion. Um, so I know at least at Rutgers, they're moving away from the power that uh, that these evaluations have um, and moving to like, you know, actually evaluating professors in class, uh, looking at how they construct their syllabi and other more holistic approach. Um, But, you know, this is something I was actually talking about in class. I was teaching in my um, course that I'm doing this semester on Blackish in the Black middle class, and we're reading some of the work of Adia Wingful Harvey from No More Invisible Men. And we're talking about the ways in which there are scripts for particularly Black men, and we're having this really honest discussion about how you're received in the workplace um, and how you in many ways have to perform to have good evaluations because you have these sort of heightened visibilities. And it was kind of candid uh, with how this experience affects me with my students and it was telling them about some of my course evaluations. Uh, they're overall pretty good, but you know, they talk about my fashion choices. Mm-hmm. So my last evaluation was like, oh, we love Professor Jones. He's great. I wonder where he gets his pants from. Um, <laughs> so I was like, thank you. Um, but I hope this is not like actually useful if I get tenure or not. Yeah. Your response made me think, because 
you know, so so my husband teaches as well. He's a historian, and um, we compare our eval sometimes. And I get a lot, you know, I get a lot of similar things. Less so on my fashion choices, but that's because I'm lazy and wear like the same clothes and Birkenstocks every day. But <laughs> um, I get comments a lot, like she's so passionate. Um, I had a student tell me the other day after class where I lectured about like why people kill other people and how they learn to be okay with it. And she came up to me afterwards and she was like, I just want to say you're so cute. Um, <laughs> it's just like, I real like, you know, so it makes me, it, I guess my, and my husband's evals are like, he really takes the time to thoroughly explain difficult concepts. Um, and I get that too, but I certainly get many more comments on my disposition and personality. Yeah. And it made me think like, you know, do students necessarily know what evaluations are for, right? I mean, they might think I want to give this person a compliment because I think that they're great for X, Y, Z reasons, um, or I admire their style, uh, whether it's their fashion style or their teaching style, um, versus this is something that is going to help my professor advance in their career. I hadn't thought about that before. I usually just think about, you know, how we're treated so differently depending on our social background and how we present ourselves. Um, But, but it also, I guess I never really thought so seriously about it from the flip side from the, what do students think evals are for Um, other than to tell us if they like us or if they think we suck and that might come out in different ways. I have a uh, personal experience with this that, I assume I'm probably supposed to be embarrassed about, uh, but I'm not and I don't care. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, I lost about 30 pounds. And by far the most depressing thing of that is that my evals went up. Um, like my evals, I changed nothing in my courses and my evals notal, like notably went up. Wow. And like, because you don't win friends with salad, I've since put that weight back on and my evals have gone back down. Wow. And it, it, it's not by a lot, but it's totally noticeable when you look at them. Uh, and that was, I think, you know, I, a lot of times, yeah, for me, like how students are doing evals is kind of a black box, uh, like how people, it can be really difficult. Um, I think for all of us uh, to know precisely with like, you know, our end of one sample as we move throughout the world, like, is this a case of somebody being a jerk or somebody being a jerk because of some way they interpret me? Uh, so like that was, uh, I think for me, like this like profound realization. My sense is that my students at U of T do not know how teaching evaluations are used. Um, I get the sense that they think it's like a anonymous way to channel information to their professor. Um, yeah. And they're not necessarily aware that this is like something that stays in your file that mm-hmm. gets kicked up to like different administrators potentially, right? And it's something at the very least, like your chair and members of the department committee that would be in charge of your tenure and promotion, right? Like that this is all publicly sort of accessible and, and available to all of those parties too. Um, but something that's been on my mind is that just down the street from us at U of T are our neighbors at Ryerson University. And as of 2018, uh, they have been forbidden from using teaching evaluations, both at the department level and at the more administrative university level, forbidden from using teaching evaluations for tenure and promotions. And so that came from a kind of internal uh, study that was conducted where they had consultants come in and just say that these are so rife with bias that you're really 
courting a human rights violation by attaching them, right, right, to things like tenure and promotion. And so it's neat that there's been an institution, right, that has completely dissociated or detached teaching evaluations from anything having to do with tenure and promotion. But, you know, it makes me think that there are many places (laughs) that don't operate like Ryerson. And in fact, I think if you're like a teaching stream or a lecturing faculty, or if you're at an institution where evidence of teaching effectiveness is the major criteria for your tenure and promotion, then things like the new ASR article, Clayton, you're describing, like that is an issue Mm -hmm. of really urgent concern. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and it picks up subtler distinctions too. So I remember uh, our former tri-campus chair at University of Toronto, uh, you know, one of the one of the many nice things about having a ton of professors and departments is you can self-study and you have great data. Uh, so he looked at uh, basically what are teaching evals predicting uh, and what he found is that teaching evals are exceptionally predictive of class level and class size, right? Uh, so what that means is like in the morning when I teach my 20-person senior seminar, uh, According to my evals, I'm like one of the most adept and skilled teachers at the entire university. Uh, And then three hours later, uh, when I go in to teach my 150 person required course, I've like suddenly lost the ability to teach. (laughs) Um, It's just like disappeared in me. Um, So, you know, what one of the things that, you know, evals are capturing racial bias, they're capturing uh, gender bias, uh, they're capturing all these things. And they're also capturing a student preference for smaller and non required courses. Uh, Like, hey, I'd like that too, but we're mislabeling that as teaching ability. Well, I think something that you just said, uh, Clayton, about like this class size, which is yeah. some, somewhat of my experience, um, it's about like opting in like, or opting out of classes in the yeah. sense that, you know, I'm in African-American studies, but I'm also in sociology. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes the students who are in my African-American studies class, they are making an effort or they're making a conscious choice to be in my class to talk about race. Um, and so my classes in, in African-American studies just run differently than they do in sociology. And so typically what I do um, during my classes is they fill out uh, their evaluation at the end of the semester, but I also do my own mid-semester survey mm-hmm. to see how they're doing and so I can also retool. Um, and it was, I think I want to say last year, one student wrote, uh, can we stop talking about race so much? And it was like, oh, I, I get it. Uh, in the sense, but like, it was also very, um, useful for me to sort of say, all right, let me tell you why we're doing everything that we're doing. Um, and let me sort of explain these concepts and why, let's say for in sociology, race is central to what we're talking about. And the course was on inequality. <laughs> but it's it's just like a, a, a really a, a difference that I've noticed just within or being in two disciplines that my ratings will differ because in African-American studies, like, oh, this is an elective. Whereas in sociology, I'm taking this because I I have to. I might not even be a sociology major or minor, but this fulfills some of some type of social science requirement. And so I'm here because I have to be and I don't enjoy this experience and you're going to feel that um, unhappiness in your evaluation. Absolutely. Wow. That's such an interesting vantage point from sort of your position as a cross-appointed faculty and these observations that you're making. Because um, it's not something that like I would have thought of just teaching all of my classes in SOCH. Um, but I think that there's like the piece that we've sort of talked about, which is 
bias as it's baked into the evaluation instrument itself or the way that students take up that instrument and the bias that gets baked in at that moment in the process. But then there's also this other piece that I have to bring up because this is the assistant professor takeover episode, (laughs) um, which is, you know, like the bias that then gets brought in at the level of tenure and promotion, right? When like colleagues or, or outside evaluators are are looking at that data, which is that we have, you know, evidence from, of course, like the work of professors like Trisha Matthew, who's written so much about tenure um, that at a range of institutions, like from R1s, you know, through sort of every type that you could think of, teaching evaluations are this aspect of a person's overall dossier that gets brought in really selectively. And so when a committee is looking for a reason, let's say to not tenure someone, and we know that this is oftentimes an underrepresented faculty member, um, suddenly, right, the teaching evaluations become like urgently important. And so if there's negative evaluations in there, they're very salient. But if a faculty has already decided that they do want to tenure someone, right, then we have evidence that the role of teaching evaluations can be selectively muted for for those people. Mm-hmm. I guess all I mean to say by that is like, <laughs> this is so, um, it's super, super scary, right? That it's like this bias is happening mm-hmm. at multiple times in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, one take, the rating system is incredibly flawed by best data. It does a horrifically poor job of measuring what it wants to measure. And I think a really important thing that James said is that uh, we have to hold that. This is not just, nobody likes to be evaluated. This is not like a complaint about being evaluated, right? Uh, And I think a point that James made is that like there are better ways, if we decide that teaching is worthy of evaluation, there are ways to like more holistically and better do that. Um, My sense, you know, from the Rivera and Titchlich piece is like, uh, what are teaching evaluations good for? And I was trying to think, like, what are these things good for? I think on some level, they are good for uh, institutions that uh, want to maintain a myth and ceremony about caring about undergraduate education. Um, that doesn't mean they're actually useful, but uh, they serve a purpose on the institutional level. And I do think they serve uh, is a check, uh, like an, uh, an institutional check of like, is there a major problem going on? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so it's like if we had an evaluation system that uh, had uh, peers, colleagues like uh, helping us in our education and coming in the class, if we're willing to like dedicate those resources as a group to improving our teaching, I'm all for that. Uh, and a simple binary evaluate and uh, students providing qualitative feedback, which uh, not a year chair like censors out the really gross stuff that has nothing to do with teaching. I think that's an important part also. Um but the quantitative evaluation is just like, is this course, is there a major problem in this course that needs to be addressed a level up or not? <laughs> right. It's like a yes or a no. Um, and uh, once you get into the massive yes range, uh, they become really useless. Yeah. I like what you're saying. Maybe okay. we could use them as a spot check, right? Like yeah, if it's yeah. raised, like significant red flags, then like, yeah. okay. Like, like the professor showed up three times. That's information right. that the world needs to know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but it's like, I'm assuming the vast majority are like in various shades of the middle. And I think like we should yeah. not look so closely at those, right? Like let's focus mm-hmm. on um, 
like what urgent information we need out of them, I guess. Yeah, once we're micromanaging James Pants choices, like right. we've got- <laughs> what is to be gained by that? And yes, thank you, Clayton. Shout out to my chair for um actually like systematically going through my evaluations, even when I don't want to do them. She does that for me and she takes out references too, for example, right? Like the clothes or or these things that are not about the teaching. So thank you, Dr. Anna Cordaweg, for doing that. So before we move on, James, can you just tell us where you do get your pants from? (laughs) (laughs) So like, actually, I wear a uniform. I wear like, you know, a combination (laughs) of like four pants and three of them are like the same, but in different colors. Um, (laughs) It's really hard to find good work pants. So, you know, they're catching on to something and noticing them. I was hoping you were going to say bonobos, so you could then explain to me what happened. I, I do love bonobos. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I have so much love for bonobos, thanks to Tan France. I wish uh, they sold old women's clothes. Yes, the question is, James, do you do that French tuck? Uh, I don't, um, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. You need to be like me where my belly French tucks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've been listening to the annex a sociology podcast special thank you to our panelists netta mcboulay from the university of toronto clayton childress from the university of toronto aliza luft from ucla and james r jones from rutgers newark we're on the web sociocast.org slash annex on twitter at socianex and on facebook the annex sociology podcast our producer is Liseth moreno thank you for listening